Welcome to the podcast with Suzanne and Amy, brought to you by Homeschool Life Magazine. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Amy. And this is episode eight, and we are recording on October 25th, 2016. I think it's the 25th. Is it the 25th? It is the 25th. You're probably confused because it's a somewhat belated recording. That's true. October has been a teensy bit challenging. Teensy. I feel like. <laughs> so we want to apologize to our listeners. This really is intended to be a fortnightly podcast. And not just because fortnightly is such a great word. It is a great word, and we're trying to use it as often as possible. But um, but yeah, sometimes it feels like everything but the kitchen sink around. Oh, how is your kitchen sink doing? Is your kitchen sink okay? You know, it's funny that you ask because I think we're actually going to, I'm not even kidding. I think we're going to have to get a plumber in to look at it because the dish disposal part is leaking. So thanks for asking. <laughs> you know what? It's just been one of those months. I figured that maybe it's not safe to say everything but the kitchen sink. So um <laughs> But the good news is we're here now. Yay. <laughs> Yay. And and we're excited to talk about home and homeschool and life and, and books and I anything else things. that crosses our minds. Cause, um, so what, what was our, what's our homeschool topic for today? Well, today, Suzanne and I thought it would be fun to talk about the things that we wish someone had told us when we started homeschooling. Yes. I, and then we'll I, write a book on it. And then... <laughs> Because, <laughs> I mean, I think one thing that you learn as a homeschooler is that every time you think you've got it all figured out, something changes. So that's just a given. That's always the way that it is. True. But there still are some things that it kind of would have been nice to know going in. <laughs> well, For I'll instance, tell you. Yeah, yeah. Same. People are going to want you to feed them all the time. I had no idea that this is a thing. This is so true. I, you can't walk through the kitchen. Like you can, you can walk toward the kitchen. You're standing in the kitchen. Children come from everywhere and they're hungry. And you think, you know, oh, well, so really if we homeschool, it'll just be like they go to school, except I'll also feed them lunch. That uh, is not the case. That is not at all. And the thing is you can't eat. You can't eat because if they see you eating, now maybe you didn't eat breakfast when they ate breakfast because you're trying last minute to pull your homeschool materials together for that day. And then maybe they're doing their thing and you want to have, I don't know, a piece of toast or a couple of strawberries or something. And suddenly, again, children from everywhere demanding to eat. I got so- poppets. I... <laughs> second breakfast in 11 <laughs> I I got to the point where I was high. I've never hidden food before. I was hiding food upstairs in my room so I could go upstairs and eat without anyone seeing me because I did not want to have to fix food for everybody else in the house just because I was having a snack. <laughs> That's when I was being nice. When I got tired of being nice, I was just like, I'm a mom. I can eat whatever I want, whenever I want. Go do your work and leave me alone. Well, and, and then they don't know what they want to eat and they, they want to snack, but they don't know what, and it's, yeah. And they're complaining about, you know, there's nothing in the house. I want to eat. I'm like, okay, well, give me a list of what you like and I'll go to the grocery store. I don't know what you want. <laughs> at some problem, at some point, this stops being a me problem and starts being a you problem. Right. I feel like I we're, all, we're prepared for how hard math will be or how challenging it will be to teach our kids handwriting. Yes. We have no idea how much work it is going to be to feed them all, excuse me, freaking day. 
And if you tell, and then they're bitter, you know, then they're bitter 10 years later and you're still like, well, I remember the day mom made popcorn and didn't share. <laughs> when I grow up and I'm a mom, I'm either one of two reactions, depending on the kid, I'm going to make popcorn and I'm never going to share with my children, or I'm going to share with everyone. <laughs> Cause it's so sad when somebody makes popcorn and doesn't share. Yeah. You know. <sighs> That's a hard life. But you know, they're going to have stuff to write in their memoirs. So that's, so that's good. Now, this is a very important point. I feel like it's not actually to do with the everyday process of homeschooling, but I swear it was one of the toughest adjustments for me when we started homeschooling, just like the physical and mental space that it required. Yes. Well, I think that's true of a lot of homeschooling is it's a lot of the parenting stuff, like times an order of magnitude, right? It's, it's a lot of those things. Like I did not know anything about what it was going to be like to be a parent when I went into parenting. And, um, there's a whole, whole lists of things people could have, should have told me. Um, and with homeschooling, it's kind of like, okay, it's all of that plus plus. Right. Um, and, and that's, that, that's hard to quantify. I think I was trying to, I was trying to get my thoughts together on this topic and um, I came up with a couple of categories and one is like, okay, what people told me or what the books told me and I really should have listened to, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's a lot of the stuff. I mean, we've talked about on the podcast before about, you know, take it slow and there's no deadlines and you don't have to keep up with anybody. And um, in preschool, you don't have to have a... <laughs> A, and, you know, an elaborate curriculum involving seven different textbooks or programs or whatever. You can, you know, take it back a notch. Um, and the books, to be fair, the books that I was reading did did tell me all of that stuff. But um, gosh, I remembering back and there was a lot of ego when I was reading those books is like, well, yeah, maybe maybe the average person couldn't handle all this. Right. But I I think. I think I will be able to handle it. Um, and right. then I, I managed a successful career before I started this. That's right. Thing. That's right. Um, so, so yeah, so I didn't, I mean, I think part of it's the excitement about going into it, but um, I did not listen perhaps as carefully to, to those words of wisdom as I should. And then, you know, learned it for myself the way, the way one does. <laughs> um and then I had another category of things that the books told me that I maybe shouldn't have listened to, uh, which I think is in part is in part related to the books that I read. Because I've said this before, I probably it's probably 2000, 2001 when I went to the library and got the giant stack of how to homeschool books. And these were all books that have been published in the past two or three years, um, which meant they were the new secular wave of homeschoolers, which is great. But also a lot of these women were coming out of an era where homeschooling had not been legal everywhere, that either they or their homeschooling mentors were people who were still fighting for the fighting the government, essentially, right. in order to homeschool. So over a lot of these books, there is this 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 paranoia um, about, OK, you know, you've got to be prepared You've got to be prepared for people to question you. You've got to be, you know, if you're out with your kids in the middle of the day, you know, you've got to be prepared for this and have documentation for that and back up this and never, you know, and, you know, fill out your forms, but don't give them any extra information. Right. Some of that I still agree with, but 
But after reading all this, man, I was geared up to, to every day face down somebody who was trying to stop me from homeschooling, right? I was really freaked out about what the reaction was going to be and whether it was going to be a problem. And, you know, fortunately for me, I have never once had any issue regarding, um, officialdom or the, the legalness, the legality of homeschooling with my family. Uh, nobody's ever hassled me about it. The people who've talked to me out in public have been, have been very nice and polite and friendly. And, um, I just haven't had that kind of terrible reaction that I was geared up for. I had one person I knew through a play group years and years ago who, who was mean and nasty about homeschooling, but you know, she was a terrible person and it just happened that that's what she landed on in relation to me. Right. But in general, you know, none of that that I was worried about came to pass. It is interesting because I, because I, I read a lot of homeschooling books too, and you do really see that kind of paranoia. Mm-hmm. People are genuinely worried that the government is out to get you, that you have to keep this certain kind of records, that you have to do these certain kind of tests. Yeah. I mean, in my experience, the government, our government, <laughs> our state government, isn't even organized enough to, to I mean, they, they have other things to care about. Right. <laughs> they're, they're not organized enough to keep tabs on us. Um, and I mean, I think I understand where that comes from. I mean, um, you know, people had to had to fight for the right to homeschool, but it, it hasn't affected my life. Um, and it would have been a lot easier to not have to worry about that stuff going in. It would be interesting now to kind of do a survey of what homeschool books have been published, like in the past five years or so. Because I haven't, oh, I don't yeah. keep up with that reading. Have you, have you kept up with that at all? I or? mean, occasionally I will read a new homeschooling book. Um, I read one a couple of years ago by a former television actress who did a year of homeschooling before she sent her daughter back to school. They all seem to be sort of in that vein, like the year of kind of books. Do you, do you remember, oh, yeah, like, I, yes. were so popular? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of unschooling books, a lot of kind of, kind of books about unschooling. Right. Which has not been some, and you, I know if you've listened to me or, or read the stuff I write, I mean, unschooling is not my thing. I don't really have anything against unschooling, but so it's together to unschool. Yeah. And I'm it's, not that together. My anxiety would not cope with unschooling. It would, it would be, and my children actually, they're my, my older daughter would get nervous, but I'd be like, Oh guys, let's just skip lessons today. I'm tired. And then she would fret that, that I, you know, that, that we weren't doing lessons and that it was going to be a problem for her. So I don't think we were meant to be an unschooling family. <laughs> um, well, so what else, what else is out there that you've, that you've wished that people had told you? Well, one nice thing about homeschooling that I would have loved to know in advance was how much I was going to get to learn along with my kids. I think I kind of went into it thinking, well, I had a good education. I'm a well-educated person. Like, I'm going to lead my children through this learning adventure. But really, I mean, I, I think we, we learned, I learned as much as they have. I mean, it's very much like co-learning. I think that's very true. Well, it engages, um, I think it engages your intellectual curiosity. And it may be, you know, it, it certainly works different different muscles, so to speak, I think, um, that maybe, that maybe we haven't had a chance to do since school. Um, 
And I love that because I love school. <laughs> I know. I would be in school forever. And so this was a delight to me that that I was, I mean, I really do feel that I'm, I'm getting as much of an education as my kids are. Bonus learning. Yeah, it is. It, and I, yeah, I do feel engaged and like I have to to stay up on stuff. And um, that's been that's been fun. And um, I don't give my kids homework that I actually give myself homework all the time. And it makes me so happy. <laughs> I love homework. I know it's a sickness that that is a sickness. I don't give myself homework. Although I, well, I mean, I guess you can consider all of this time I spend looking at curriculum and, and, uh, trying to figure out this and that and the other, it's a little bit like homework. Um, yeah. So that yeah, was a I'm... nice homeschooling surprise that I, that I would have been nice to know about how, <laughs> how, how, how satisfying and fulfilling. It's fun. It it's fun. Um, I was trying to think one of the things that I, I think I was a little surprised to learn was um, I had this idea that homeschool, you know, since we have so much in common that once I started homeschooling, I would be able to go out and meet other homeschoolers and I would have like this instant network of best friends because <laughs> we have so much in common. And I think the, like I said, the books and the people I talked to maybe fed that a little bit because they always talk about the importance of of, you know, the homeschool network and joining a co-op and joining a support group. And I found that I didn't really need, I didn't really need a support group on top of what I already had. And maybe that's because I actually, you know, my husband was on board with it. Um, our families didn't give us any flack about it, about homeschooling. Um, I felt confident kind of in the educational part and the general parental, you know, being a mom support, I had that. I had I had established a network of friends and playgroup moms and that kind of stuff. So I was able to lean on them and get my support from them. So I really didn't have to go out into the homeschool community like extra and and get support from from other people. And when I did, <laughs> it turns out <laughs> that I didn't have all that much in common with every other homeschooler on the planet. It turns out that, that, you know, that kind of instant best friend wasn't thing wasn't going to happen, which makes sense. Of course, once you think about it for more than 30 seconds. <laughs> um, so maybe that was a little, I mean, that's, that's a, that was a good thing. Like, Hey, you know, if you've got a good support system in place, then, then you're set. You don't have to worry about, Oh my gosh, is there a support group? Is there a co-op? Is there something, but also like maybe don't set your expectations too high with those groups, right? Because, you know, you still have to, it's, it can be hard meeting and making friends and finding people that you click with. And just because they're a homeschooler doesn't mean that you're going to click with them. Right. Cause it's just like any other situation where, you know, you might meet one person that you click with out of a hundred. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I did not realize, and you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before about the implications of that for our kids, social lives, not, not the, um, not the socialization, socialization, but just their social lives and their friendships. I did not realize that I would spend more time in the car driving my kids to like hang out with friends than doing anything educational or academic related, right? I, I spend a lot of time and energy figuring out, okay, so we're going to meet up with so-and-so and they live 45 minutes away and we're going to plan this. I spend a lot more time in the car um, trying to make sure they have their social network than I do to anything related to classes. Yeah. 
No, that's, I think that's totally true. And that is something that you don't realize about homeschooling. It's not that it's hard to build a social network for your kids, but it, it takes work to build and maintain it. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, so that's something I didn't, I didn't realize. Going. Sort of along those same lines, um, you know, of, of like kind of expecting all homeschoolers to kind of be fundamentally the same. I wish that someone had told me that your homeschool is not going to look like anybody else's and that's fine. Yeah. When I started homeschooling and I started meeting other homeschoolers and we started saying, oh, what do you do? How do you do this? Everybody seemed like they did it so much better than I did. And I kept thinking, I need to change what I'm doing because these people are clearly doing it in a superior, they have it planned. They have like ideas and goals and they have a checklist. And I don't have a checklist. I need a checklist. And they have a Velcro board and I don't have a Velcro board. Well, and everybody seems so confident. Like, yeah. yes, this is my program and this is what we do. And I feel good about it. And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I'm, we're trying this. Maybe it'll work, you know? Yeah. So I think realizing that the way that works for you is the way that works for you. And that's great. That's kind of a big homeschooling lesson, a little homeschool epiphany that it would be nice to have someone tell you at the beginning. Well, it's like the Facebook thing, right? I mean, you're seeing, you know, what is, you're seeing everybody else's highlight reel yeah. and in your own head, you can only think of all, you know, all the terrible things that have gone wrong. I mean, and I think that all of us, especially when you're just meeting someone to begin with, you don't necessarily lead with, I'm a failure and I think I've screwed up my kids for the next 10 years. I, and, I, I you know, never be able to do math. That's right. I'm never going to leave the house again. And, um, you know, I mean, that's not what you lead with, right? We're all trying to present ourselves as intelligent and, and successful, you know, successful in what we're trying to do and, and great moms and that, and without actually lying. <laughs> Right. I think we, we like want to be, especially when we meet a new homeschooler, mm -hmm. we want to be like PR people for homeschooling. Oh, that's true. Wanna... That, that is something. I never feel like I can complain about homeschooling ever. Right. Because you, you want to be positive about it and point out the pros, especially to people who are just getting started and who are scared and who feel like they don't know what they're doing. Or when you're talking about it in the in the the real world, right? When you're just out there talking about it to people. I mean, I have if I have friends, well, my my good friends that I've that have known me for years, I'll complain about anything. But you know, if somebody's just meeting me and they're asking about homeschooling, you know, how does that work? I feel a lot of pressure to really be the good homeschooler that that person meets, right? right. I want to leave them with a good impression. I don't want to. I'm not going to share with them the challenges. I'm not going to share with them the stuff that, you know, didn't go the way I expected or hoped it would go because homeschooling can get such a, it's so misunderstood, I think still overall. And I think still can kind of get a bad rap. Yeah. So I really want to be on the other side of that. I want to be the person they go home. Oh, I met this, such just this nice together person today who was a homeschooler and her kids were great. And, you know, they weren't eating dirt. <laughs> they weren't eating dirt. They looked me in the eye. They said, hello. You know, it's amazing. So, yeah. So I think there is a lot of pressure. I mean, there's that, there's a whole bunch of gender stuff around that too. And being stay at home moms and being moms, period. And I think maybe it's just magnified. In I the think definitely. World. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have been, I have been thinking lately. I mean, one of the big, one of the big advice uh, pieces of advice I give to people with homeschooling, 
Um, and again, I think this is something the books probably tried to tell me and I wasn't listening is the whole, like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough. Um, and we've talked about that with curriculum, right? I mean, you can yeah. spend thousands of dollars and, and hours and hours and hours of time hunting down the perfect curriculum and you, you know, you won't find it and you'll never get started, right? You just have to reach a point and say, okay, this is good enough and we're going to give it a try. And, you know, I've reached that point with curriculum and kind of concrete things, or at least I try to, but what I'm realizing about myself is that I have this concept in my head of the, the ideal education, like a, like a platonic ideal, like somewhere out there in the world, there exists, you know, everything just comes together. Right. And, and for the lucky child that gets to, to participate in that, that is the ideal education. It's perfectly balanced. It's got all the pieces and it just gives them to the world and gives the world to them in, in this, this perfect form. And, and, well, um, now, Suzanne, I want that. Well, yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, I, <laughs> but I think I actually believe that that truly exists. Not that I'm giving it to my children. Let's be very clear that I'm, I'm really clear that I am not doing that in my home. But my brother, for example, works um, for a very prestigious private school in Virginia, and the kids there have these fabulous opportunities. He runs an international um, relations internship there. And over the summer, these kids are traveling the world. They're going to uh, D.C., and they're, they're not doing the touristy stuff. They're doing the behind-the-scenes stuff because the school and my brother, they have contacts in the Pentagon. They have contacts you know, in the White House, they're able to talk to people who are changing the world. And, you know, and that's one trip. And another trip, they'll go to China. And another trip, they'll go somewhere to South America, you know. And, um, which is so cool. Which is so cool. And that's a great education. And what a great opportunity for those kids. And I think what I'm just, and that's the kind of thing that I'm like, oh, somewhere. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's that, maybe I've read too many books about British boarding schools and the boys who got <laughs> to go to Eton and then they got to go to you know, Oxford and all that, that I have in my head that there's this ideal education. And what I'm starting to realize is that it doesn't exist. And I think, I think maybe I should have realized that a long while ago. Like, I don't know that anybody else is shocked by this revelation, <laughs> but that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how prestigious the school is. It doesn't matter what kind of, um, the well-trained mind, which is my, my personal, you know, Bible for the start of homeschooling. I was drawn to that because I felt if you executed that really, really well, that would be an ideal education, right? That for me, that really resonated with me. Um, but you know what? It just doesn't for everybody, no matter where you are, no matter what school you go to, no matter who your teacher is, it's this kind of patchwork, you know, um, hodgepodge. Yeah. It's for every human being because it's a human endeavor. Right. And, Maybe the teacher, maybe it's a great teacher, but the student, for whatever reason, isn't in a place where they can they can absorb, right? That they're able to get, because it all has to come together, right? The circumstances of the place have to come together. Um, the student has to be in a place where they can really appreciate whatever is being given to them. The teacher has to be able to, you know, and it just doesn't. Um, the fact is, I think for all of us, it's a patchwork, it's a hodgepodge. It's, it's, um, something we put together on the fly and there are going to be good moments and there are going to be great moments and life-changing moments. And there's going to be bad moments and things that just don't work. 
Or stick, um, things that you don't remember. Right. And I'm certainly not saying that there's no such thing as a bad education. I mean, I'm certainly think there's there's better, right? You can always hope for better. You can always hope for 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 trying to get it to be good. But that this ideal that I'm somehow chasing and always a little tiny bit sad that I couldn't give it to my kids. Not that I'm going to ruin them, but that, oh, if I just had the money to send them to that school, or if I just had the time, if I wasn't if I wasn't a mom who had asthma and, and depression, and so I was energetic and on all the time, then I would be enough hours in the day for me to be able to provide them with this education. Well, right, because we, we have this idea of the perfect education, and what it really is is a reason for us to beat ourselves up. It's like a place that we, mm-hmm. by, I mean, by definition, we constantly fail. <laughs> Right. And nobody's succeeded. Right. I mean, you you know, we could go look, we could go look at the valedictorian from Princeton or whatever. And, and, and it may look perfect all the way through, but that's, that's an illusion. Or even Plato who had Socrates for his teacher. Right. 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 You know, yeah. (laughs) So what you're saying is the platonic ideal of education doesn't actually exist. Is that what you're, Uh, that is what, yeah. what you're saying so so this is so that's that's the one side is like I I am trying really hard and I don't just do this for education I do this for everything in my life I don't know whether it's something to do with having anxiety or being a perfectionist or being human but always being a teensy bit sad that you know I'm never going to reach that ideal um that doesn't that doesn't exist and I guess with the flip side for that the solution to the to the 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 problem that the ideal education doesn't exist is that you have to take charge of your own education ultimately. Yes. Right. Ultimately, you know, we want our kids to, to take charge of their own education and to be lifelong learners because they are going to discover things that they are fascinated by that we didn't expose them to that we would have had we were doing an ideal education (laughs) and they're going to have to fill in gaps and they're going to have to fill in holes. And there's going to be a new world that they live in with new careers and new you know, things going on. So that's what we need to do. And so I feel good about that, right? I feel much more capable of encouraging my kids to be lifelong learners and to take charge of their own education and to feel like it's ultimately their responsibility to learn what they want to learn than I feel capable of giving them that that ideal education. Well, and I will say, Suzanne, that when I feel insecure and think, oh, someone else is giving an ideal education that I'm not, you're the person that I think of. See, that's, that's <laughs> terrifying. Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm not sure how to respond to that because it's so, you know, right now we were talking before the podcast, my, my older kids that I've got in the house, they don't want to interact with me at all during homeschool. They just want me to, they want to get their assignment go off, do it. I don't, and then, you know, okay, mark it wrong. I don't explain to me why I got this wrong. I will figure it out. Leave me alone. You go away. So it's hard for me to see that. <laughs> well, and I mean, maybe that is like a piece of the point is that we can never see as clearly what we're doing well as what we're not doing well. Right. We see what other people are doing well so clearly, but when it comes to ourselves, all we see or we tend to focus more on what we know we're not doing as brilliantly. Yes. Yes. Cause it's right there in our face and, and, and will be until the day that our children write a memoir about it. And then perhaps even more so. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
So Ugh. those are some things about homeschooling. <laughs> but it would have been nice. It would have been nice if someone had told us. So we're telling you. <laughs> we are. We are. And if you have any other suggestions for things that you should have been told or questions that no one will answer. Yes. Email us. us. Uh, our podcast at homeschoollifebag.com. I cannot stress enough. I say this every episode. We love to hear from you. Ecstatically, gloriously happy is what your emails make us. <laughs> oh, and in other very exciting life news, I mean, this is so we've had some pretty major stuff going on here lately. Yes, but nothing is as important as, I mean, Suzanne, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that. Like, I wonder where she's going. Well, I was actually going to say the big exciting one. There's two pieces of big exciting news I have. And so the one piece of big exciting news I just thought of is I have signed up for Twitter. I know everyone was waiting for this. I'm I know that there's a, a wave of excitement rolling across the country as we speak. Um, I just, I got to a point where I felt like I was missing out because <laughs> all the cool kids were on Twitter. So I have begrudgingly signed up for Twitter. And if anybody wants, to, and I don't tweet, right? I'm still observing the process because I'm not sure how it works. Um, and my children are all laughing at me, A, and B, they're like, well, nobody's on Twitter. Nobody, meaning nobody their age, is on Twitter, mom. We're all on Instagram and Snapchat. And I'm like, be quiet. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out Facebook and Twitter. But um, in addition to emailing us, you could tweet at me now. I think that's the term. Is that yeah, the term? What's your handle? My handle, it's at Suzy Rez, S-U-Z-Y-R-E-Z, -E which stands for Suzanne Russellman. So, yeah. So, I am really impressed by your Twitter bravery because I, I will be honest, uh, Shelly Pabas, the lovely and talented Shelly, does all the Twitter for Homeschool Life magazine because I personally am terrified of Twitter. I have tried to do Twitter a couple of times. And every time it is like trying to turn left without a green arrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, it is. Do I, I don't, oh, but I, sh oh, I should have. Oh, no. <laughs> well, see, I, like I said, I haven't actually put anything out. I'm just following people. And that's okay, except everything comes in backwards. So like, you have to watch it all day long. Or else I'm just, I'm just hearing, like, if there's any millennials listening, I am so sorry. I really do apologize. I know this must be painful to listen to, but, but it's challenging for me. <laughs> I just turned 47. I'm trying to figure this stuff out. So I'm still trying to figure out, you know, kind of how I keep up with it and what makes sense. But if somebody tweets at me, I just might tweet back. Which would be amazing. I know. So, yeah. Hope so if you feel learn grow. Huh? I said, help Suzanne learn and grow. That's right. Help her. me be a lifelong learner. I'm taking charge of my own education. And uh, nicely, please nicely help me be a lifelong learner and take charge of my own education. Um, so I'm on Twitter. And then, and then the other big news, which is bigger than Twitter, is that I have some library chicken breaking news for I, you. I am all about, li I live vicariously through library chicken. So... I want to let you know that I have completed Library Chicken 2016. What? Pause for applause. Thank you. Thank you. See, um, so yeah, so I, I did take a few books back unread 
But I read the last book that I had checked out and I took it back and it was done. It was over with. And so the plan is to just read books that I actually have in my home <laughs> or at least the, the rest of 2016. That's and all the, the books that your kids want you to read. They've, they've been putting them on your table for a while. That's right. And of course, I'm not counting. Okay, so I'm not counting the 10 books I already had on hold from the library. We're not going to count those. Those are not part of Library Chicken. Those were just books. I'm so, so, okay, so maybe there's still a few books from the library in my house. Maybe. And maybe, but, and also I may have put some more books on hold because if you're reading in a series, then it's okay to keep going with the series. That doesn't, that doesn't count. Or oh, if yeah. you're reading a cluster of books about a particular subject, then you can check those books out. So, um, okay, so I have like 15 books out, but. But. but <laughs> the point is, <laughs> I completed Library Chicken. Yay. For the first time ever. For the first, talking about it and like getting all the support, you know, from, from everyone. <laughs> um, actually, this is the first time I think I've completed a round of Library Chicken instead of just taking all the books back. You know, just at some point taking like 20 books back and being like, don't bother me anymore. Go away. <laughs> well, I think that's awesome. It's kind of exciting. So, I'm kind of excited. So how will you know when it has started again? Like, what are the what are the signs that you're back in library chicken mode? Okay, so the real start to so library chicken. It's not 15 chicken, books. That's not the sign. That's not the light. No, the real start of library chicken is is one of two things. It's... um. It's, it's both of them start with like having a bad day, right? Because library chicken is a cheap way, is a, is, a, is a free way to make me feel better after I've had a bad day is it's 2 a.m. and I fill up my hold list and I fill up my husband's hold list with books just randomly, not randomly, but like off my wish, you know, off my right. to read list or something. And I just boom, all of a sudden, and then they all start coming in. And then usually when I go to pick them up, I just roam the library and it's, it's a relatively new library. And so the books, so I can pretty much look on any shelf and there's a book that I want to read that's on it. There's a book or an author. Um, so, so I, then I go while I'm picking up the holds and I fill up the two library cards with books from the library. And then I'm into library chicken because then it's all about reading the books that I have out before, you know, so that I have a place to get the hold book out before the book comes in on hold. Yeah. So that's, that's the start of library chicken is when I just go off to the library and I come home with 30 books one day or, or, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 25 on each card. I don't know if I've ever come home with 50. Um, wow. That would, I mean, 50, could you even carry that many? No, it would be more a logistics thing. I'm just thinking in my head. It's more, If I haven't, it's more of a logistics thing than anything else. Um, I have had 50 books out at a time. Easy. Um, so when, when you say it's free, I just... Um, so for me, the library is never free because <laughs> I always, always, always have late fees. Do you not ever have late fees? Because I might have to hate you. No, I do get late fees. Um, and I do lose books occasionally. But it's probably like right now... I probably owe like a dollar on my card and a dollar on my husband's card. Oh, that's not bad. No, it's not bad at all. So I actually, I mean, that's part of library chicken, right? I mean, if you keep the book out for an extra month or something, that's not really in the spirit of, I will keep it out for like two or three or four days or a week after. Right. But, um, but the spirit of the game is not to just <laughs> steal the book from the library and keep it out for months and months. 
Um, and I figure, so if I pay, I mean, I haven't lost a book in a long time, but, um, well, and I never lost them anyway. It was my children that would lose them. Um, but if I don't lose a book, maybe $5 a year in fines, which I figure, yeah, so that's, that's a really reasonable price to pay for all the books, all the books you can read. Um, so I do, I almost, I have almost maxed out my hold list, but, um, that's because I'm reading on the, the Brontes right now. I've gotten into a, a Bronte reading thing. There's a new Bronte biography out and I had an old one in the house that I had read years ago. Is that it I the decided... one that came out for the, um, Charlotte Bronte's centennial birthday? It made, it's a fiery heart by Claire. Yes. Yeah. She wrote the Jane Austen biography, didn't she? I think so, but I haven't read that. It was um, I read, and I had in the house, I had an old uh, biography, uh, not an old, like a 1988 biography of Claire, of Charlotte and the other girls uh, by Rebecca Fraser. So I reread that and then actually donated it, actually got it off my shelf. Um, and that's, and there's in a couple of, there's, because the whole point of this not doing library chicken is to read books that I actually have in my house. Right. And so far, all I've done is reread books. Um, but I will get to actually reading some new books. I'm sure. Oh no, I read, I read a couple of new ones. I read All Roads Lead to Austin. Um, Speaking of. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's, that's Jane, not Texas. And um, I read another memoir, so. You love the memoirs. I love the memoirs. We're going to talk about the memoirs in a minute. But first, so what else has been going on in your life? Well, we've been super busy because my my husband, my my fabulous and talented and wonderful husband, who I'm very fond of, is actually starting a high school. Yay! I know. It's crazy. That's um, very exciting. I mean, he's always been a teacher. That's always been the thing that he likes to do. And... Uh, One of our close friends finished her uh, PhD at the University of Hawaii and moved back to Atlanta. And why would you move back to Atlanta from Hawaii? Not that I'm sad that your friend has moved here. I'm I'm glad she's here, but yeah, that's I think she misses Hawaii. (laughs) I was gonna say I just I just don't anyway. (laughs) But (laughs) not the um, point of the story. But (laughs) but she and Jason are both teachers. They talk. You know, they've been teaching together here in Atlanta for a few years now, the different places and. and they thought, you know, there should be a liberal arts high school that really, that, there's so much STEM stuff and STEAM mm-hmm. stuff, which is great. But, um, but you know, there's not really an old classic liberal arts high school. So they, uh, they put speaking, one together. You're speaking my language, that I classical I education. Come and I, I, I think that I'm correct in saying that you are going to come and do some classes with them, right? You're going to teach some classes at the school. I'm so excited. I think we've talked about doing Hamilton as our, our kind of first like test the waters kind of thing. But then, then, um, yeah, I'm really excited to getting in some history and some, some bookish stuff. I'm so excited too. I'm, I'm trying not to be too involved because this is Jason's baby and his project and not mine. And I, you may not know this about me, but I'm a little bossy. <laughs> if you if you give me an inch, I will like reorganize your entire project. Well, and you do have a magazine to run. Yes, which keeps me pretty busy. So, yeah. But no, I'm so excited and I think it's great. And now, of course, I have the really difficult decision of should I 
continue homeschooling my daughter through high school or should I let her take <gasps> out this liberal arts high school? And I don't You know I hadn't even connected those dots. That's really interesting. Well, but but you have all the options in the world, right? Because you I can don't do think that this is like a kind of a, a sign that my husband doesn't have confidence in my ability to homeschool <laughs> through high school, right? It's pretty convenient timing. <laughs> hey, I've got an idea. <laughs> Instead of you teaching her. <laughs> Why don't I just start a high school? <laughs> oh, that reminds me. Did you ever watch the TV show Parenthood? Yes. I Where they just they the... just decided to start a high school for okay, their. Okay, but <laughs> did it not annoy you how they? Oh I... no, it was terrible. It was a terrible storyline. It was a terrible school. It I was didn't the believe worst school starters ever. I didn't believe one second of it. I mean, just because if your son has a clear and demonstrated passion for one specific thing right. and you start an entire school for him from scratch for him, just for him, why would that not be part of the curriculum at the school? This demonstrated passionate thing. It's a little crazy, but right. then it was a terrible, terrible storyline. Then I, I don't think, I don't think your new school will have, you know, Jason's new school will have anything to do with that other monstrosity. No, no. <laughs> but it does make me think of that storyline. Oh, we'll just start a school. <laughs> that's, that's clearly the easiest solution to this problem. <laughs> it's always the easiest solution to start a school. Well, that is super exciting. Now, have you picked, has he picked a mascot yet? They don't have a mascot. You got to have a mascot. Maybe what else are you going like to put on the t-shirts? Socrates. I would love to have a little Socrates mascot. <laughs> okay, that is very dead white guy. Well, yeah. You know, I'm just saying, you know. A cross-dressing Socrates. A cross-dressing. Okay, Intre I'm interested. But um, no, maybe this requires some further thought. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Well, that is really exciting, and I, I am so thrilled to be a part of it and so excited about going forward. So this is going to be a, an interesting, a very fun year. Yeah, I think so. And I'm glad. That. It's fun to have it be someone else's project so that I get to enjoy all the fun of the project without having to be... Right, you can just cheerlead. You can just, yes. oh, sure, I'm, honey, I know you're going to figure out a solution to that problem. I'll this be over is so here. cool and exciting. That's, <laughs> I get to do that instead of, wait, how does this fit into this? <clears throat> how does one tweet, actually? Yeah, that's, that is really great. I'm, I, I, I couldn't be more thrilled. So if you guys happen to be, if anybody listening to this is local in the, the North Metro Atlanta area. Oh, true. I'll put up a link in the show notes if you want to check out the Academy. That's right. That's right. And, and a mascot to be determined. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so we read a book. We did, as we are wont to do. And while we are late with the podcast, we, we did do our homework. We did read the book. Well, it was a library book. So I had, in my case, so I had to return it. Yes. <laughs> that it was, was one of the last. Library chicken. The last library chicken books. Um, yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit, since it was your, it was your suggestion this time around. So we read Lab Girl by Hope Jaron. Am I saying her name right? I never know if I'm saying names correctly. I'm not sure. Actually, I should have looked that up, but I didn't. Um, I should have looked it up. Uh, so we read Lab Girl by Hope Jaron. I'm going to say it like that, who is a professor of geobiology also at the University of Hawaii. Mm -hmm. um, and it is part memoir and part science narrative. She sort of alternates sections talking about her life 
growing up, discovering her love for science, and then the challenges and rewards of pursuing a science career in academia with information about botany. Really, I mean, it reminded me of um, Stephen Jay Gould writing about paleontology. Yeah, I can see that. Partly like education about the subjects that she's passionate about, but also partly memoir. Yeah. Um, So... I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I tried to sum up, summarize this memoir several times, and I find it really hard to summarize memoirs. So I'm going with that. <laughs> well, it's, it's that's what it is. You're right. It's it's part part memoir and part part science narrative, and it's gotten huge press. Yes. It's, should we should we talk about the name? Yeah. Okay. So we should. Um, the name threw me. The name. Uh, it's called Lab Girl. And, um, okay, so I enjoyed it. I'll just cut to the chase. I enjoyed it. I liked it, um, which is not a surprise because I'm a big memoir fan, but it totally was nothing like what I was expecting. Right, me either. I, I liked it too. Uh, good, good. Um, and the partly that, became, that came from the title, Lab Girl. Um, and I don't know, I was trying to think what would be a better title or what, through, I mean, she's my age. She's... She's, you know, 40, well, I don't know if she's 47, but she's a child of 1969. So, so she's not a girl. Right. <laughs> Although she is writing about her childhood in, in places. Um, but I think for whatever reason, it, yeah, that's, what did you think of the title? Well, I'm not sure what I think. Um, you know, I, the girl sort of di- the diminutive kind of treatment of women in science is, is such an issue. And so maybe girl points to that in kind of an ironic and critical way. Uh-huh. Um, in which case it totally makes sense as the title because I, I felt like she did a really good job about talking about the challenges of being a woman in a, in a field that's really mostly men still science. Right. And I was actually kind of concerned about that going in. Um, this is, well, what I expected it be going in is I expected it to be um, a lot about the sexism of a woman trying to make it in a STEM field, which is something that is near and dear to my heart because um, that was my line of work before I was a homeschooler. And, um, but, and, and it's really important and it's in the news a lot and I support all that, but I wasn't sure that I emotionally that I wanted to read about it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's kind of like, that's not going to be fun to read about. And then I was kind of skipping through. I don't read the end, but I was kind of, you know, sometimes I kind of skip through to get a feel. And I had not realized that she was a professor at Georgia Tech when she first started out, um, which is my alma mater and is near and dear to my heart and is where my my son is going. So I'm like, oh, no, not only is it going to be about how terrible it is for women in the STEM field, but it's going to have my school <laughs> as the example of people being terrible. And so I kind of gingerly approached it, you know, from that perspective. But really, I think, like you say, she does a, a great job of um, showing that, you know, of demonstrating the sexism. But I didn't feel like it was, it wasn't certainly, it certainly wasn't the topic. No, no, of you, the you weren't beaten about the head and shoulders with it as, as sometimes is the case in these kinds of narratives. Yeah. I I feel like it was, it was like, yes, it is hard to be a woman in science. It is also hard to be bipolar. Right. And to, you know, to have this kind of career or it's hard to have, 
you know, all of these other things in her life, it was just kind of one thread of all these other things that were going on. And she really has a very unusual uh, history. I mean, she's a very unusual person. Yeah, and a really, really interesting person. I mean, I, I, I will say um, I, I sometimes find memoirs boring because it, it can feel like you're stuck on a plane next to someone who won't stop talking about themselves. So, so yeah, so I was going to ask you about that because I know you're not a fan of memoirs, and I love them. And I don't know that we've done a deep dive into into to what makes memoirs terrible. <laughs> well, I, I, you just I don't think, think people are that interesting. <laughs> well, I do. I do think that people are interesting, but I feel I, I just I can, I find it really hard to. I guess. I'm interested in people's people's lives, but I find it it's a really rare memoir that feels literarily significant to me when I'm reading it. I mean, a okay. lot of times it feels like I'm in someone's therapy appointment and I don't particularly want to be there unless it's a person that I know and love and want to help through a difficult situation. Uh -huh. um, and, and usually for me, memoirs, they just, I, I read them and it feels like I've gained nothing. Huh. Okay. I know that's weird. I'm, I'm not, I promise I'm not an uncaring person. I'm no. <laughs> Suzanne, <laughs> you have no empathy, whatever. Is that what you're saying? That that's no. your lack? You know, there's a word for that. It's called, um, yeah, no, I, I can understand that. I, I guess for me, it's, um, I, I really enjoy memoirs and to me, they're kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think of the right term. It's not an easy read, but it's like, you know, some books like I have to kind of gear myself up for, or I know, okay, this is going to be something I'm really going to have to pay attention to. And then there's other books, which may or may not be like fluff reading, right? Um, but maybe genre books, like a, like a mystery in a series I'm already familiar with, or, or something like that, where it's, it's a really low bar, right? I can just jump right. in and I know I'm going to get engaged and enjoy it. And for me, memoirs are like that. Like if I haven't read anything for a long while, I can go get a stack of memoirs and just start reading again. I mean, I do, I do think that people are one of the most interesting things to know about. So I, I often think I should like memoirs more than I do, but I, but I did, I did enjoy this one. And I think that what I enjoyed is the way that so much is the way that it's, it's not just about her and her life. It's sort of, Putting her life in the perspective of the world. I mean, how, how humans are so different from and also at the same time similar to the plant life. Yes, she really does have a, uh, a unique outlook on the world and a way of talking about that and bringing it together that I've never seen before. The, there's a bit where she's talking about um, being in a cornfield in the Midwest and the sound that the corn makes yeah, when it grows. Yeah, you could hear it, yeah. I, I, I mean, I had never thought of that, and I, I found it really moving and profound and like, wow. Right. I do feel, I do feel like it was a very dis, uh, distinctive, unique perspective, and it was very much hers. It wasn't just kind of generic woman scientist, right? And I don't know that, I don't know if other women, like in this field, would even relate is not the right word, but they would even say, oh yes, my journey was like that because her journey is so unique. I mean, a large chunk of the book is her relationship with like her best friend, non-romantic soulmate. Who is one of the best characters in the book. 
I mean, he's wonderful. And their relationship is fascinating because I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite, I'm trying to think if I'd seen either in real life or even in fiction, something like that, where it's, it's a friendship and it's a partnership that lasts longer than, I mean, than any other relationship that we've seen in her life, really. Um, and is so deeply important to her, but it's not a mentor mentee relationship or if anybody's, you know, I mean, yeah, she's, she's kind of more educated than he is. She's his boss right, in the lab, essentially. Um, and he's older than she is, but they, they, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe. They're genuinely partners in they like genuinely a, a really meaningful way. Right. Right. And then, so it's really, and I think, I think, um, you know, it took me a while to get into this. It took me longer than I expected to get into the memoir. And I think that's because I think she does a good job of, of talking about her life was certainly not horrible all the way through, but she had a lot of challenges. Yes. And I think she writes about those challenges and about the tension and about the difficulty. I mean, again, it's not a, it's not a, oh, poor, woe is me. This terrible thing happened and this terrible thing happened. But, you know, you reach a certain point in the book where she meets her husband, the man that, that she marries and, you know, and it, it's kind of like this sigh of relief, like, like she can, you know, things have started to work out. She's had this relationship. She didn't think that she would ever be able to have, and she starts to be able to have a family and things really begin to come together for her in a way that I could really feel like myself relaxing Yeah. when I was, was reading the book. And I was thinking about it because, you know, she has to bring her husband into this relationship that she already has this longest, I mean, it's not optional, right? It's not optional whether the guy that she's interested in likes or is able to deal with this other, this other person being such a large part of her life because he is not, you know, he is not optional. Right. He is, he is like her family in that way. And it does seem like all three of them manage that transition with such grace um, that in a really hopeful way, <laughs> Cause I think that kind of thing is so hard and, and they just all manage it. They just all manage it in the best possible way with the best possible grace and happy to do it, Yeah, you know, in the best possible spirit. And I was really, by the time I got to that, to that kind of part, the end of the book, I was really found myself moved, um, by the way she described her life and now she's married and she has a child and she didn't know if any of those, either of those things would ever happen. I mean, her, her talking about pregnancy, and what she had to go through. Right. Well, that childbirth story is a little harrowing. <laughs> well, and the whole thing, I mean, because she talks about how she had to go off her medication during the pregnancy for the safety of the child. And then, <clears throat> you know, at one point she talks about being grateful because her doctor wasn't going to hassle her about not breastfeeding her child because um, uh, because of the medication that she needs to be on to function and enjoy life you know, she can't take that and breastfeed. And the doctor was like, it was fine. It was a non-issue. And she talks about being so relieved. And I just had this moment of like, man, if somebody has, after all you went through during this pregnancy <laughs> to have a healthy child, if somebody hassles you about not breastfeeding, I will reach through this book and find that person and grab them by the throat. Um, but then she has that moment at the end where she talks about that and with her husband and her child. It just seems like she's come to a really great place and she talks at the very end, she talks about, we, we've gotten kind of hints all the way through that her relationship with her mother has been difficult. Um, she doesn't really go into detail about it. I don't 
really think we hear much. We don't even like hear like, oh, this is an example of something terrible that my mom did. We don't get that. But she talks about how she's, she's kind of glad that she doesn't have a daughter because she felt like she couldn't, she didn't know how to be a mother. And she was really concerned about how to, um, you know, about how that mother daughter, maybe it's just good. Maybe it's just good to skip a generation. But then she talks about being hopeful that her child, her son will maybe have a daughter someday and that she'll have a granddaughter. Um, and even though she may not be alive just because people are waiting longer to have kids and she waited a while, uh, that, that she's going to go ahead and love her granddaughter now. Oh yeah. And I was just blown away by that. That is one of the most, I'm going to remember that passage for a long, long time. Well, I think that she, she had this really beautiful kind of belief and hope and optimism throughout the book. I mean, I, one of, one of the bits I love is when she talks about all the things that made her really unsuited to other parts of her life that, you know, asking too many questions, um, wanting to follow up on everything, this tendency to overdo everything, um, you know, it, it made her not fit into so many parts of life, but it turns out that those are the things that perfectly equipped her to be a scientist. And it was mm-hmm. just a matter of, of finding the thing that all of her weird pieces that didn't fit anywhere else fit into. And persevering and persevering in the face of, of challenges, both unique to her and then in the culturally in the system, you know, and she keeps pushing through and it has, it has, I mean, you can't, it has a happy ending, right? To the extent that a memoir can have a happy ending. She just seems like she's in a really, yeah, you know, a really great place where her hopes have been fulfilled. And I, I just felt really, it was, and she doesn't trash Georgia Tech. So, well, yeah, <laughs> that's Obviously, all that really, that's very important. That's all that really matters to me. <laughs> well, there was one uh, one piece of the book that I thought was so perfect for homeschoolers, and so I so I wrote it down. Can I read it? You please do. Did you did you underline it too? You have to tell me after I read it. Okay. People will tell you that you have to know math to be a scientist, <laughs> physics, or chemistry. They're wrong. That's like saying you have to know how to knit to be a housewife, or that you have to know Latin to study the Bible. Sure, it helps, but there will be time for that. What comes first is a question. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's, that is, you could hang, you stitch that, cross stitch that and put it on your homeschool wall. Right. Um, yeah. And it's genuine. I mean, she's telling you, she's telling you the truth. And, I'll and I think that. About our children, not loving math or science or yeah. English or whatever it is that they don't love. It is kind of, re- kind of reassuring to remember that those skills are things that you can learn anytime. The important thing is the spirit of inquiry, the passion. Yes. And um, yeah. Yeah, no, that was, it was, it was a good read. It, it, it really, it may be, maybe one of, um, I actually expected to like it. And like I said, it's been everywhere. I've heard everybody's listing it on their, you know, tops of the year, this kind of thing. But once I read it, it was totally different from what I expected, but then came around to, um, just something I really, I really found very moving and memorable. I liked it. It has not converted me to being a memoir lover, but I, I definitely <laughs> am not sorry that I read it. I enjoyed it. I'm gonna have to give you a selected list of memoirs and see, <laughs> and see. I don't know. I don't. I don't really need to convert anybody. It's like like. <laughs> I read all of Madeline Lingle's memoirs and liked them very much, but I like her. I have not actually read her memoirs. I need to do that. 
I need to do that. Well, speaking of needing to read, okay, we were we were talking about a book for uh, for next time. Yes. And and I confess to you. Are you sure <laughs> that you want to like say this in public? Are you are you prepared? I don't know if I want to come out. You know how they say, you know, what is the book? You know, that's one of the questions that people ask. What is the book that you pretend to read, to have read that you hadn't read, or the one book that you feel like you should read that you haven't? And I've never pretended to read it, but I have never read To Kill a Mockingbird. And I made my children read it. <laughs> and part of that was like, oh, well, if I make my kid read it for homeschool, well, then I'll definitely have to get around to reading it. Um, and three kids later, that did not work. <laughs> But if I have to read it for podcast. <laughs> right. No, no. I, I think it's, I, and I'm really excited about this because like so many people, uh, I read To Kill a Mockingbird in school. It was a, it was a school assignment. And so I read it, you know, as a young, as a young person and I read it through that perspective. And however many times I reread it, that's always my first impression of it. So I think it will be really interesting for you to come to it as a grown-up with life experience reading about the children in this book. I'm really excited to kind of hear your take on it. Yeah, so that's that's the plan for next next time around is finally reading To Kill a Mockingbird. And um, and I actually have the, a copy of the book in my house, so I don't have to get it from the library. Oh, I was going to say, is it from the library? So. It's not from the library, so <laughs> this is all good. Huh. So I'm excited. I'm excited too. And I guess that does it for our slightly belated but very heartfelt episode of the podcast with Suzanne and Amy. Again, anytime you want to contact us, you can reach us at podcast at homeschoollifemag.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we will be back in a fortnight, really truly, this time <laughs> <laughs> with more conversation about the places where homeschool and life intersect. Have a lovely two weeks. Bye.